0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode 386. It's titled, When Should You Pay a Premium? Last week, the Investors Podcast released a conversation I had with Trey Lockerbie. We discussed a wide range of topics, including about a five-minute conversation on business development companies. If you recall, we covered business development companies, or BDCs, a few weeks ago in Money for the Rest of Us, episode 381. BDCs are a a niche asset class with about $53 billion in assets outstanding. They're relatively new. They're a type of closed-end investment company that directly funds businesses that have revenue between $10 million and $1 billion. That's called the middle market. BDCs have been around since the early 2000s, and they're somewhat of a hybrid between a traditional bank and a private equity fund, in that they extend credit, but they also can provide some equity, some guidance and counseling about managing operations. After the episode of the Investor's Podcast was released, I was perusing the comments on the video version that was hosted on YouTube. One of the comments stung a little. The commenter said, I wish you would stick to higher quality interviewees. This guy, me, doesn't understand why business development companies will sell above NAV or the net asset value. In other words, he's saying, I don't know why investors would pay a premium to purchase a business development company. He went on, guessing you can't believe Google sells above book value either. Now, we'll see in this episode, there's a big difference between book value and net asset value. And what he says wasn't entirely accurate. We ran out of time. We weren't able to get into as much detail on BDCs as potentially that particular listener, who must be an expert, wanted us to. Fortunately, I have my own podcast, so we can go into more detail. In that episode, the specific BDC I was referring to was Hercules Capital. I didn't mention it by name. The ticker is HTGC. It was about a week ago selling for a 60% premium to its net asset value. And again, I'll define net asset value here in a few minutes. I said in the episode I was viscerally opposed to holding something at that much of a premium if there was a chance, it could fall. But his comment brings up a good question. When should we pay a premium for something? Now, there are are different uses for the word premium, but in this case, the, the premium definition that we're focused on is the idea of paying more than the usual price or the suggested retail price for something. Before we dig into investment related premiums let's consider examples of paying a premium outside of the investment arena one of my favorite Mayan ruins is Calakmul it is deep in the jungle in the southern part of the state of Campeche it's about 35 kilometers from the Guatemalan border it is a very very long drive to get to Calakmul there are wild monkeys among the ruins and it's just absolutely fascinating But if you want to buy something to drink, a soda or a bottle of water, it's two to three times what it would cost if you went to the store. You pay a premium for that. Back in the 80s, when I would travel in Mexico, when we were on the beach down in Cancun, for example, sodas that were sold in glass bottles were always two times more expensive than you could purchase in downtown Cancun. Why? Because of the convenience. We're thirsty then. We don't want to drive to the store. You see the same thing at hotels. Prices at gift shops are notoriously more expensive than at other retail establishments because you pay a premium to get something right there when you need it. Another reason we pay a premium is if an item is scarce. Recently, the watch brand Swatch issued a new watch. It's A bioceramic moon swatch. There were 11 unique watches in that collection. It was a collaboration between Swatch and Omega. These watches were only available in select Swatch stores, and fans of Omega and Swatch lined up at the stores to get access to them. Swatch has said these watches were not part of a limited edition. That they'll continue to refresh the stores with the Moon Swatch. Yet, people want it now. There is some scarcity. There's demand. The, the Moon Swatch only costs $260 retail. But if you go on eBay, recent listings sold for between 650 and $1,100 because people want it now. And there's some scarcity. So there's an aspect of convenience, but there's also scarcity. If you walk into a Rolex store, Generally, there's very few watches to buy, particularly of some of the more popular models. In order to get a Rolex watch, you have to have been an existing customer, a repeat customer. And then when the Rolex store gets a watch in, they'll contact their preferred customers to give them the opportunity. The only way to really get a Rolex watch, say a Rolex Mariner, is to pay a premium. Buy it online. Buy it from a private dealer. But you have to pay more than the suggested retail price because there's scarcity. We will pay a premium for reputation, for the quality. My son was mentioning breeders for for dogs. If you would like a security dog that if it's well-trained and the breeder has a a solid reputation and you really want it well-trained, they can cost tens of thousands of dollars more than just any old dog of the same breed because you're depending on the reputation of that particular breeder. We will sometimes pay a premium for status or if we support a cause. If you go to a charity auction, there might be a bidding war for a particular item. The price goes well above what the item is worth or what it was priced at. The bidders are willing to pay a premium to help the charity, but also for the status of winning that particular bidding war, but also potentially so others can see that they were willing to pay this amount of money to help that cause. We will pay a premium to avoid waste. Perhaps buy a smaller box of cereal or a smaller container of ice cream because we don't want to buy it in bulk. We'll pay a premium for that smaller packaging, that smaller serving size. Finally, we'll often pay a premium if there's some type of access or exclusivity, or we get some type of story out of it that that we can share with others. The point is, we will often pay more for something in order to get something else, something intangible, something subjective. Something that we feel is of value more than just the price of the item, be it convenience, greater confidence in the quality, exclusivity, getting something now, even though it's scarce. How then does this apply to investing? Looking again at that YouTube comment, he suggested that I didn't understand what intangibles would lead investors to pay more than the value, fair value, for a BDC, the net asset value. But he also suggested that I don't know why people would pay more than book value for Google or some other stock. There is a big difference between net asset value and book value. And some similarities. The net asset value of a fund or a BDC is calculated by taking the market value of the fund's assets including cash, backing out the liabilities or debts, and then dividing by the number of shares. So that would be the net asset value per share. Book value is based on the original cost of the asset, and then it backs out depreciation or impairment. In other words, the asset is recorded on the balance sheet at cost, and then that cost is reduced over time as that asset is used. And then to calculate the book value, The liabilities of the company are subtracted from those assets, which are held at cost. And then we have the equity and we can divide the equity that's left over, the assets minus the liability, by the number of shares outstanding. And then we get the book value per share. Both calculations take the assets, back out the liabilities, and divide by the number of shares outstanding. But net asset value is based on the market value. It's already at fair value where book value is not. So, of course, when we buy a common stock, we're paying more than book value because oftentimes the assets are worth more than what they cost. And there could even be intangible assets that sometimes are included in that book value calculation. It could be a very subjective calculation. An intangible asset would be something like intellectual property or a brand or something along. Those lines, particularly if a company buys another company, much of that purchase price is made up of intangible assets and goodwill, and that has to be recorded on the balance sheet. When we look at BDCs, their net asset value has those assets at fair value. I went through the annual report, the most recent annual report for Hercules, HTGC, and they point out that most of their investments are private. And so they do their best to value them to figure out what the fair value is of their assets, which is debt. They're lending money to companies. That is the bulk of their assets. And they have $2.6 billion in assets. They have $1.3 billion in liabilities. And the net asset value as of the end of 2021 was $11.22 per share. At the end of March, the NAV was down to $10.82 per share, so the NAV shrunk. But the price of this BDC right now is about $16. They include a chart in the annual report showing the premium and discount of HTGC stock relative to the net asset value. In 2020, you could purchase HTGC for a 30% discount to net asset value. But there were times during that year where it sold at a premium to net asset value. By 2021, it is only sold at a premium. But it does happen that they fall and you can buy it at a discount. Now, we might buy an asset at a premium if that net asset value continues to grow. But if we look at HTGC, In December 2014, its net asset value was $10.18. And its most recent net asset value is $10.82. So it's up about 6% over the past seven and a half years. Only about a 1% increase in the net asset value because BDCs pay out most of their income to shareholders as dividends. The dividend yield of HTGC Based on its net asset value, so the income per share divided by the NAV is about 12%. And that makes sense because on average, HTGC is lending at 11% to 12% rates. But because the price of this BDC is much higher than the net asset value, 50% premium, that brings down the distribution yield or dividend yield to around 7.6%. If a security is yielding 7.6% and that dividend is growing about 1% a year, then, you know, the return will be about 8.6% annualized. Why would we pay a premium for Hercules Capital or HTGC? Well, perhaps other BDCs aren't as successful in making loans, figuring out. The intangible is the management quality. And another value is, well, when we see very low interest rates, maybe we're content with a 8% distribution yield and willing to bid up the price of that asset in order to lock in that attractive yield. The yield on the net asset value is double digits, but the price is much higher, and so we can see a premium. Now, we've seen that premium collapse with HTGC's stock fell 6% on Monday. BDCs like to see their shares sell at a premium because then they can issue new stock above the net asset value. If a BDC has the price below the net asset value that it's selling at a discount, BDCs can't issue more stock without getting shareholder approval. So they want to see at least a slight premium in order to issue more capital to continue making more loans because they pay out most of their income to shareholders. But the question is, how much of a premium should we pay? 60% seems like a lot. But you can decide that based on the distribution yield, do the research, go through the financial statements, but BDCs can also be bought at a discount, especially when you have large market sell-offs like we saw in 2020. But it is rare, and I admit that. And perhaps I should have been more clear about that in the episode that we did on BDCs as well as the discussion on the Investors Podcast. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Now, two other examples of premiums. Buying an asset at a premium is Gladstone Land Corporation and the Gabelli Utility Trust. Gladstone is a farm REIT. I have owned it in the past, and I have focused on the the net asset value when I bought it. When I purchased Gladstone... In August 2018, it was selling for $11.75, about a 15% discount to its net asset value. And the net asset value is calculated quarterly by Gladstone. They get independent verification appraisals on the farms that they own. They primarily own fruit and nut farms. At the time, it had a dividend yield of 4.5%. I held it. This was an experiment for me, and it, it was a successful investment. I sold it in February 2021, about a year ago. Its common stock had risen to $18.69. Its net asset value was $12.23. So now it's selling at a 50% premium. It's gone from a 15% discount to a 50% premium. And the dividend yield has fallen from 4.5% down to 3%. I sold and then bought Gladstone's preferred stock, shares, the Series B because it was paying 6%, which was an attractive yield to me, much higher than the 3% on the common shares, particularly because the net asset value of Gladstone wasn't growing that quickly. Turns out that was a mistake because Gladstone's common stock shares are now selling for over $30 per share. The premium is greater than 100%. The dividend yield's now down to 1.8%. It has, Gladstone has grown their net asset value to over $14 per share. But what premium is too much? I liked buying it at a discount when nobody was really that interested in farmland REITs. Now, apparently, they've gotten much more popular. And I did leave a lot of money on the table by selling at a 50% premium, and it continued to increase to 100% premium. But I didn't know it was going to do that. It hadn't done that before. But again, with Gladstone, what are we paying a premium for? We know the fair value of the farms. They calculate that every quarter. So we're, we're paying a premium to get access to farmland in a very liquid way because we can buy and sell as we wish. And we're also accessing an experienced farmland management team. Investors value that and have been willing to pay a hundred percent premium of the value of the actual farmland. A final example is a closed-end fund, Gabelli Utility Trust. The ticker is G-U-T. This is an amazing example to me because I'm in the process of recording the videos for a closed-end fund course that we'll be releasing hopefully next month. Gabelli is the most expensive closed-end fund in the U.S., expensive in that it's selling for a 70% premium to its net asset value. Gabelli Utility Trust invests in utility companies, and its net asset value is made up of the price, the market value of these utility companies and these energy companies. It's very diversified. But investors are paying 70% more than what the common stock shares are worth and have been paying a premium for years. If you go back to 1999, the inception of this closed-end fund, it pretty much has sold for a premium the entire time. In the video I recorded for that course yesterday, I, I said, I don't know why Gabelli Utility Trust is selling at a premium. So I spent more time this morning trying to figure out, what am I missing here? Generally, people purchase closed-end funds for the income. This particular closed-end fund does use leverage. Gabelli issues preferred stock and then uses that preferred stock, that capital, to leverage up the assets it can buy to benefit the common shareholders. Now, I own preferred stock in two other Gabelli closed-end funds because the, the rates are attractive. It's 55 to 6%. I don't own the preferred stock of GUT. But there is the leverage, so they're perhaps paying a premium for the opportunity to get leveraged exposure to utility companies. The distribution yield for this particular fund is about 8.5%. But if we look at the actual income component of that distribution yield, it's only about 1% because there's so many fees involved. The expense ratio on this closed-end fund is 1%. They have to pay out the preferred stock dividend and their other expenses. So when we look at that distribution yield, the vast majority of it is return of capital. It's the unrealized gains that the closed-end fund has generated by owning utility stocks. And again, as I go through, I try to think, well, why is this selling at a premium? Is the performance better? than just owning a utility ETF because of the leverage? Turns out it's not. If we look at the return of GUT going back 10 years, it's returned 8.5% annualized on a price basis, 9% on a net asset value basis. But if we compare that to the Vanguard Utilities Trust, VPU is the ticker, I believe, it's returned 11% annualized, about 1.5% annualized more than GUT. One reason is it just doesn't have all the expenses. The expense ratio for the Vanguard Utility Trust is 0.1%, one-tenth of the expense ratio of GUT. But people continue to hold that at a premium. Gabelli is trying to narrow that premium sum, or appears to be doing so, because they're doing a rights offering, giving existing shareholders the right to purchase new shares at $5.50. Keep in mind, the net asset value of this closed-end fund is $4.13, and the price is $7.10. So I guess if you're participating in this rights offering, you're saying, all right, I'll pay a premium of $5.50 per share to buy these new shares because it's a discount to the market price, but the market price is a 70% premium to the net asset value. It is really convoluted, and I still couldn't figure it out. But apparently, people value this particular fund enough to continue buying it to continue that premium, even though they could just purchase a utilities trust, a utilities ETF and generate as good as or better returns because the fees are much lower. It's just that with utilities ETF, the dividend yields lower because they're not returning all this capital in all the unrealized gains where the CEF is returning paying a dividend that represents unrealized gains of the underlying holdings. In conclusion, then, why would we pay a premium? Perhaps it's access, liquid access to an illiquid asset class. Maybe it's private equity financing, like we see with BDC, the opportunity to invest with a management team that makes loans to startups or other private companies. That could be attractive enough that the yields are high enough that people will bid up the BDC or that particular security. Perhaps it's farmland. That's what they're paying a premium for. Maybe it's the expertise of those teams, their ability to sustain and grow the income and dividend. We should always ask, though, can we replicate this exposure we're seeking that we're paying a premium for at a lower price? Maybe there's a different vehicle that we can participate in. For example, I purchased the Bearings Corporate Investors Closed End Fund, the ticker is MCI, about a month ago. It's selling at a 15% discount to its net asset value and has generated 10% annualized returns since inception. Similar strategy, making private loans to private companies in the middle market space. Similar strategy as Hercules, similar returns, actually better returns, but you have that margin of safety of buying it at a discount to its net asset value versus paying a 50% premium. Finally, then consider other ways you're paying premiums outside of the investment arena and why. Is that intangible worth it? The convenience, the ability to get something now that you want. Is it better to wait and not have to pay the premium? Maybe what you want has some elements that you just can't get anywhere else. The reputation of the provider, the support. Maybe you get some status for buying that particular item or it allows you to avoid waste and get the right size package that you want in the right way, in the right color, and you're willing to pay a premium for that. Paying a premium is not bad. We just need to understand and delineate why we're paying the premium, and is it worth it, and is there a way to do it without paying that premium. That then is episode 386. Thanks for listening. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that, but have you subscribed to my email newsletter, The Insider's Guide? It's where each week I share an essay on money, investing, and the economy to a list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love for you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for over seven years. Plus membership gives you the tools and resources you need to manage your investment portfolio. Not only do you get access to my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades, but Money for the Restless Plus has partnered with top-tier institutional research firms, such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSEI, and Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You also access a community of over 1,000 members to get their insights, Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to an institutional research service that can cost upwards of $10,000 per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more about Plus membership at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation, I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.